Does the microphone I have, is this helpful? <laughs> you look beautiful holding it. Okay. Let's get down to business. <laughs> oh, see, the mic does this sometimes. The Bluetooth life is really too pale. everyone and welcome back to another episode of the TV That Changed Me podcast. I'm Beth Watson and the person you just heard grappling with a karaoke microphone is my best friend Amy. <laughs> and today we're going to be talking about friendship in two of our favourite shows, Girls and Sex in the City. Hello, I am a training child psychotherapist in my third year and I live in London and I'm a big Sex in the City fan. Woohoo! And you're also one of my best friends. Well, that too. <laughs> big friend fan of you. Big, big friend fan. I'm really happy to be here today. So thanks for having me on. <laughs> She's very happy to be here. And, um, so today we're going to talk about Sex and the City versus Girls. Do you want to just yeah. give a little overview of what those two shows are? Okay, so if you don't know what those shows are, then you live under a rock. Well, actually, maybe less so with Girls, but Sex and the City, iconic part of our culture. So Sex and the City is about four girls, Carrie, Charlotte, Samantha and Miranda. And they basically are like in their 30s, but they're unconventional because they're not married. They're not like trying to settle down. They're just basically deeply invested in their friendships with each other. And they're kind of just banging dudes on the side and talking about it. That's the premise. But obviously it gets deeper. They have relationships with people like it gets complex, but that's the premise. And then girls... I kind of see girls, I mean, it's not directly been said this about girls, but I see girls as kind of like an evolution on Sex and the City. It's definitely meant to be a little bit because it's about four women living in New York, but they're all kind of like highly dysfunctional people, basically. And um, both shows are problematic massively, but also iconic and make you think a lot about the intricacies of female friendship in a big way which I can't really think of much like I can't think of many other shows in our culture that have like just done that in such an extreme way as these two shows yeah I read a really interesting article this morning in preparation in my hungover state they are really different shows, but they get so much comparison because it's four women in New York. But actually, should we be comparing them or is it just the fact that they are two of the only few shows that talk about female friendship? Yeah, that's a good point. Because if you look at like Seinfeld or whatever, there's always like a token. I really shouldn't reference Seinfeld because I don't know much about it. Can't back anything I have to say about it up. But there's usually just one token woman who's kind of representing the female voice, even less for like racial minorities. But what's people are making a huge deal out of the fact that it's a show where four women are all talking to each other. It's like, why is that a big deal? Shouldn't be. So I do think the thing is, though, is that Girls and Sex and City are very different shows in their style. Like um, Girls is very plot driven, you know, like it is dramatic storylines, whereas Sex and the City, the plot is kind of always resolved in one episode. Um, yeah. Yeah, they are different. So I guess that view is kind of saying, why do we even compare these shows? It's just because they're both about women. But I, I think it is, there are stronger comparisons. And I think that Lena Dunham knew they would be compared and nods to Sex and the City as well. Yeah. And I think, well, the way I kind of have looked at it is that in the first one of, I think it is the first episode of Girls, one of the characters talks about Sex and the City and she asks the kind of like bohemian Jessa, um, like, which Sex and the City girl are you? And it, I feel like what Girls is trying to do in the same way that Broad City is trying to do is be like, you have created this like idolized vision of what it's like to live in this like metropolitan city. 
and the reality is that you're going to be fucking poor and you're not like going to have blow dried hair like Charlotte and like you're not a sex columnist that goes to elite parties like you're going to probably not be able to pay your rent and you're probably going to get dumped and have some like really dodgy sex with some really gross dudes and like even though they do that in sex in the city like they do have dodgy sex with gross dudes they make it look like sex in the city I think is responsible for a lot of people moving to New York and having these ridiculous expectations for their life and even like if you take it outside of America even here like when I was like 15 and I watched sex in the city and I thought it was just like I mean I would watch it with my friends and we wouldn't be looking at it like oh my god we want this life but there was definitely like an unconscious like okay when you're 30 you will have some of your shit really figured out. Like your job will just be a given. And there's like this steadiness in Sex in the City where nothing ever goes that wrong. Like they're never actually like in a massive struggle. It's always like they're already at this level of success and wealth and like lifestyle. And then they just are kind of playing. Um, but I just think this is so symbolic. When I first had a cosmopolitan, I was, <laughs> I was like, me and my friend Daisy were on holiday and we ordered cosmopolitans. And I think my other friend Marina was there and they were like 14 pounds and they tasted like washing up liquid. And it was just like, it was like something inside my heart had died. Cause I was like, wait, what? I thought being a grown up was drinking a delicious sugary drink and also you stay really thin and also you're having so much fun. It kind of reminds me actually of everyone who goes on holiday to LA and is like really surprised there's homeless people in LA and that there's yeah. actually a lot of uh, people sleeping on the streets. They're like, but in the films, it looks like everyone is happy in California and, and it's fantastic. And I think the New York flip side of that is that everyone's got enough money to buy designer shoes. And even, like, even in Friends, you know, they're drinking coffee all day. They yeah, never, they never seem to be at work. work. And and also like, I mean, I don't know. We we seem to be really talking about New York, but I don't know anything about New York. <laughs> but I do know like that it's not like sex in the city. And actually, um, Chris, the guy who plays Big, Big Daddy, um, there's a really funny interview, which I've obviously watched a lot of different things like this, because I get really into everything about sex in the city, where he's he basically hates the show and he's talking about the fact that he's like this I'm part of something that fucking ruined New York New York used to be really gritty and now there's these stupid people on these stupid fan buses trying to find us and I'm like yeah there's a huge part of sex in the city which is like I mean don't get me started on the movies because they're not canon and they don't count but there's like an insidious capitalism in it which is gross and I don't like but there's also some amazing beams of light and friendship and insight, which are gorgeous. Yeah, I totally, I think you're right there. And I think also you just mentioned friendship. How do the two different shows deal with friendship? Well, okay. So, so many different interesting facets. Like I think that in Sex and the City, the whole like current and it might be like quite a superficial catchphrase of the show but it's definitely there oh sorry this happens i just thought that <laughs> it's like seven pounds and it only speaks french and it shouts at me when the battery's low um yeah the um sex <laughs> in the city the whole point is that they're like we're each other's loves of our life but then it consistently undermines that narrative where they're like I'm going to sound like I'm having a conversation with myself because I also want to come back at that, which is that people say, okay, but these women, all they do is sit around and talk about men and they say that the friendship is everything, but the friendship is just about talking about men. But what I would say is that they are talking about men, but if you know the show well, or if you haven't even seen the show and you watch it the first time, you realize that most of what they're talking about is the fact that the men around them are like like putting balls on their eyeballs and like doing really weird shit so they're usually just like 
it's almost sometimes like a Me Too movement. Like they're usually just like, why did this happen? And like, there's a lot of talking about sex, but also talking about their discomfort in sexual situations. So then that for me is what makes it more about friendship because friendship should be a place where you support each other and you encourage each other to grow. But you also go, no, actually that wasn't okay that that person did that. So in that sense, they're not just idolizing men and not having any content. Like they have amazing careers. They're just like, why did this happen to me? Or they're talking about their own issues. Why am I this way? Why can't I commit? Or, you know. The way girls is different is that they don't have their careers sorted and they don't have the friendship sorted. Yeah. And in girls, I mean, what I like about girls is that she's kind of pushed their characters into a state where it's like, they're like manic and they're not really functioning. And that's like, I've heard people be like, I can't watch girls. It makes me anxious because it's in sex in the city. Like you said earlier, it always comes back to like the full arc of the episode is usually like, but everything's fine. And these are the lessons they learn. Whereas girls, it's like, I don't even want to be alone with this character. I don't want them to be alone with each other. I don't know what they're going to do. And they're not trustworthy or likable. But I think that makes it like really exciting. It's more realistic, isn't it? Because actually, well, it depends on your life as to whether that's... Like those people. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like I see myself... Quite, it's really upsetting to say you see yourself in Hannah's character because Hannah is Lena Dunham and Lena Dunham is a very flawed (laughs) person. But uh, I see myself in Hannah so much. I really do. The anxiety, the like obsessive tendencies. I don't know. Oh yeah, big time. I mean, to be honest, the the person that I see myself in who I hate is Carrie. If we're going to like pick the shows, the one that I have the biggest shame about is that I am like, because Let's, if we like Carrie has not got a diagnosis, but if we look at Carrie and like you think about her in the same way you're thinking about the girl's character, she's like so neurotic, so narcissistic, like really, um, like there's so many, I mean, this is what everyone says about Carrie, but like she's really unable to like empathize into other people's experiences. And like in the rare moments where she's like, honey, what do you want to do? Or like, oh, honey, that's hard for you to one of her friends. It's like so touching because she's so like self-absorbed. So, and I've just said I'm like her. So I'm really giving myself a bad, bad <laughs> advertisement. But it's but- interesting, isn't it? Because I, I think a big thing that people level against um, main TV characters is that they're self-obsessed. But I'm like... It's literally a show about them. Of course, this character, <laughs> of course, this character is self-obsessed. Like I've, ha- I've literally had this conversation so many times doing this podcast of like, oh, I'm so obsessed with Lorelai and Rory and Gilmore Girls and all of the things on the internet are like, oh, they're so self-obsessed. I'm like, it's their show. It's called That's Gilmore so Girls. True. How boring would it be to watch like Carrie be like, I couldn't help but wonder what's going on with that guy over there. Like <laughs> that would not be interesting. It's so true. So some of that is cinema is like the the part of the show. But also her character does just like get more sucky. Like in the beginning, she's like she she becomes like more and more of a big asshole. Like in the beginning, she's like. I heard this once on a podcast and I thought it was so funny that it was like, maybe all of her like freedom and magic power was in her hair because when she cuts it, she then becomes like a Karen and it just seems to happen like kind of overnight. And also I guess, yeah, because she's supposed to be a sex columnist. It would be nice if she was a bit more like progressive and open. She's, she's very, uh, She's very judgmental of like Samantha and um, what was the question again? 
Don't worry about the question. <laughs> you, you, just, the brain thread. you just freestyle. It's fine. <laughs> I don't even know what the question was. I think uh, <laughs> we were talking about friendship. We were talking about them being self-obsessed. We were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. They're kind of the worst. They're supposed to be. So in Sex and the City, they're supposed to be like one part of a woman that like they're not supposed to actually be a fully formed person, which if you think about it really fits because whenever you try and be like, which one am I? And whenever anyone tries to do that, they often combine two together because if you were pure Samantha, like you would be in an asylum because she's just like, she's just so horned up and she doesn't actually have any, like she gets authentic. I think later when she gets cancer, but she kind of talks in catchphrases. She's like one of those squeezy toys that says like a set of different things. So she's not like a full person, which in that way makes it a bit less interesting than girls because in girls, I personally believe they are, they are, you could completely believe they were each real people with like kind of backstories and motivations and like flaws. Whereas Charlotte gets challenged by life but she is a cartoon and so is Samantha and Miranda is just, she's the real one. She's a real girl. And what do you think about the way Miranda is portrayed in sex and the city? Um, well, yeah, I think with Miranda, when Miranda is like everyone, when you're younger and you talk about sex in the city, nobody wants to be Miranda because she's like, frumpy and grumpy and just she doesn't seem free-spirited like Carrie and she doesn't seem to be having fun like Samantha and she's not like kind and like perky like Charlotte but then now when you're older you're like Miranda knows what's up like she's she can be moody but she says sorry she apologizes she's like really humble and I mean my favorite Miranda that always comes into my mind is when Miranda flashes her tit to the gay man who's cruising the guy in the flat above her wait I don't I don't know that one what happens (laughs) Miranda it's just such good Miranda material because it's like Miranda basically um is feeling like insecure about herself and like she's not getting much d and she's just feeling not good and then can i say d well i just said okay oh she can say d <laughs> you can say dick if you want is d yeah okay anyway so she um she basically sees this guy across the hall who has who's naked and is looking at her and he's really hot and she pushes herself she's like you know what I'm going to take a risk and she just like waves at him and then he waves back and he really likes it and he's like making eyes at her and then the episode's called like hide and seek and it's about playing games she flashes one boob and like it's really comical but she's kind of looking a bit coy but proud of herself and then she runs into him in the supermarket and he's like oh you're that old lady in the apartment below the guy I've been trying to cruise and I just think that that really sums up a lot of life (laughs) (laughs) you you take a big risk and you whip out a tit and then in reality you're not Carrie Bradshaw or Samantha most people are Miranda's like just kind of flash a tit and take a risk and I just think that's really beautiful and that's true because you don't really get a lot of moments like that in Sex and the City like it's normally the um, men are making more fools of themselves definitely and like a lot of boys watch the show and they're like why are all the men in this show so dysfunctional but I just want to say a lot of boys watch the show. Literally no men watch the show apart from your ex-boyfriend who you forced to watch hours of the show and then became really into or it. anything. He absolutely loves it. He still watches it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think that's the thing is that men would be like, oh, I don't want to watch it. And then we'll deeply enjoy it because it's very sweet and whimsical. But um, I do think you're right. It's like actually... But wait, no, they do have some embarrassing moments, don't they, in Sex and the Sea? But I feel like girls is much more that kind of like deep awkwardness of getting things wrong. Yeah, girls is like, the they're like pathologically ill, all of those women. Mm. Like, they're not, 
but then there's also lots of humor and lightness. Like it's not like a some gritty, dark, like artsy piece about dysfunction. It's actually that's what I think is perfect about girls, is that it's like these people suck a lot, but you also completely see how they got to where they are and how they jumped to their dumb conclusions. <laughs> like when I just think this is like sticks out for me as like the sweetest moment in girls. Hannah is in the bath just having a, a good life. And Jessa comes in and doesn't knock to come into the flat. Just I think she has her own key. And then she's like sobbing. And Hannah's like, what's wrong? What? And like Hannah is good at the empathy. And Hannah is like feeling really emotional and sad. And then Jessa is basically like has had the worst experience with her dad. Something really shit has happened. And Hannah goes to get out. And then Jess is like, no, no, you stay in. I'll get in. And she just takes off all her clothes and gets in with her. And then she is sobbing. And it's like a really emotional moment, but also really touching because it's like that kind of friendship intimacy to be in each other's dirty bath water. Um, and then she like wipes her nose and she just puts the snot in the bath. And Hannah's like, I'm sorry, I know you're sad, but like that is truly disgusting. Like I wouldn't even do that. And I pee in every pool I get into. And it, then they just have this really genuine laugh and they're best friends in real life as well, but they've had this conflict and it just feels like that scene for me is like, how much airtime does that type of friendship get really? Those moments in friendship that happen so much where you're like being your most disgusting, vulnerable self. And then you're both like laugh, crying, farting, just, yeah. And I think that's because a lot of scenes about female friendship are written by men. And I don't think maybe men quite understand how gross women are together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like rewatching um, some episodes of the AOC for a different episode of the podcast. And there's a, um, a chat between Summer and Marissa that's so shit. It's like Marissa's lost her virginity. And Summer's like, how was the sex? And Marissa's like, oh, not so great. And then, then, then someone's like, oh, you better have sex again. And it's like that no girls would ever like, can you imagine you've lost your virginity? And that's how you're like this sat, like sad, vapid, empty story you're telling is like, it wasn't so bad. It wasn't so good. And it's like, no, we're really honest. And we're, well, some people are very honest and very, very tactile and very like extremely physically close with their friends. They yeah. would divulge more details, especially as a teenager, I think. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, like, I guess that scene where they're like, where one of them climbs in the bath with her and she's, it's not even what it's about. It's not even the joke. It's just like, that looks more like friendships that I have. Where you're, where you're just like really organically naked together. Like, it's not like, it doesn't... <laughs> <laughs> some people call it friendship some people call it an orgy whatever you whatever you say you're all having sex no like you're just you're just like so intimate with people that you can't even see what looks like intimacy anymore like because you're just and that is different to romantic intimacy where there's like an expectation to still be like attractive to the other person but like the way that women are with their bodies in real life is really well shown in girls, I think. Whereas in Sex in the City, it just shows how far we've come. Because in Sex in the City, like Charlotte has to like whisper about when she's oh no, it's Carrie farts in front of Big. And it's like the first time that a show has addressed this. So it's great. They're talking about farting in front of Big. Yeah, they're talking about um and then they're all like, you what? You farted? And it's like, that's great because that's closer to reality. But then that scene in Girls is like just miles forward. Like, can you, I would, this makes me sound like I'm saying it in a creepy way, but I would love to see Samantha get into the bath with Carrie because I bet she would. I think Samantha <laughs> would definitely get in the bath with Carrie. Samantha would just give a little wink and go, actually, to be fair to those girls, there's a great scene where Samantha reaches, um, Carrie's diaphragm gets stuck up inside of her. 
Yeah, uh, uh, diaphragm. Is that what it's called, diaphragm? Yeah, you said it. You just said diaphragm. Oh, it's just a. It's behind our time. We now don't really talk about those. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Still, is it like it's like an inside condom? I think it's like a. <laughs> I think it's like a kind of coil, but it's not a coil. I thought. See, I thought it was like a condom. I think you're thinking of a femi dom, but. I don't I can't imagine Carrie having a femidom. It's not very glam. <laughs> it's so funny. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I don't have sex with um, sperm making people anymore, so I don't know how any of this. Is. I've lost my contraception I think vocabulary. That femidoms are not a thing massively, but I think it's anyway. Whatever it is, mm, I'll just. I'm going to check what a diaphragm is for um for scientific purposes. Diaphragm. I imagine it like. A kind of like the cap of um, like a fizzy drink, that little plastic bit that you kind of sometimes rip off. You see, I-, I thought it was a a bit like yeah, no, it looks like a moon cup. It's um, oh. it's a cap. It's a cap. It's a barrier method piece of contraception um that looks like a little female condom that you chuck in there. Oh, interesting. Oh yeah, so because I remember she, it's like a retainer. Mm. Like a box. Well, anyway, she's got her femidom up her pussy, and Samantha like downs her cocky and is like, "I'm coming in, you pussies," because she's just like, "It's nothing to her." And actually, that's kind of Samantha's equivalent of getting in the bath. Exactly. I was going to say that. That is that is a moment that sticks out in my head in Sex in the City. That actually feels very very intimate. We sound like we're just constantly touching each other and like <laughs> naked and raw, but it isn't not like that. Like sometimes when we get drunk in my flat, we all just, just in the most natural way, we all want to be naked and run around. Like, and it's like we always used to get in the bath together at parties at uni. Like it's very normal. Yeah, it's very normal. It's just fun to be playful with your friends. And it, yeah, and if it's warm, if it's a warm day, who doesn't want to be naked? It's warm. Yeah. Exactly. But um, the other big thing that happens in girls, which doesn't happen in Sex and the City so much, correct me if I'm wrong, is um, the big friendship breakup between Jessa and uh, Hannah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that as well is such a, like, poignant... Thing. when because I had a friendship breakup recently which is a bit raw for me to talk about but I had um, a friendship breakup recently which I I believe is something that everyone goes through at different types of their life but I never had one that was so kind of final and that scene in girls really came into my brain which was just that like because that whole should we explain whole, what happens in the friendship breakup and girls yeah. Yes. So basically, Jessa um, is kind of slowly falling in love with Hannah's ex-boyfriend. But she knows, sorry, that was another, just drinking a fizzy drink. Um, <laughs> I'm going to leave all of your burps in. <laughs> and sabotage you. <laughs> well, I guess I'm talking about female body openness. I should practice what I preach. Um <laughs> Yeah, so she's talking about, oh no, sorry, oh, my brain. No, your brain's great, don't worry my, about that. My brain, my thread just goes and I don't know where it's got to. Yes, so Jessa basically wants to get together with Adam, who's Hannah's ex-boyfriend, who was just like massive love of Hannah's life and they broke up because she moved away. So it wasn't as if it was like at all done for Hannah and Adam. And Jessa kind of realized that this was happening and in her avoidant attachment style way, instead of talking to Hannah about it or she kind of sabotaged her friendship with Hannah so that she could feel okay about getting together with Adam, which was so painful to watch as a viewer, but really amazingly done because she is slowly realizing that she loves Adam and Adam doesn't care about Hannah and is just pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And she's like trying to avoid Adam and she does things like changes her AA meeting because she's in AA with Adam. So she's really trying to like not 
allow this to happen. So as the viewer, you can see how much she does care about Hannah and how much she loves Hannah. But once she realizes that it's basically like a like ball that is rolling that she can't stop, she says to Adam, like, I really want this. And then she sleeps with him. And then she takes she goes out for like an ice cream with Hannah. And she just says, basically, I think we're just drifting apart. Um, this is kind of what happens sometimes with old friends. Like we shouldn't feel bad about it. And you can just see the like devastation on Hannah's face. And then she leaves and then she comes back and she's like, seriously though, you're like the biggest bitch in the whole world. And then you just realize that Jess has made this like impossibly horrible decision, but you can kind of see why she did it. Like Hannah's in a relationship with someone else. So it's like really well done where Jess isn't the demon at all. She's just kind of a fucked up person who didn't know how to just talk to her friend or she, she has a kind of capacity to just blow things up and that's what she did. And then like cut to a bit later and there's an art show and Hannah just thinks that Jessa is acting really awfully, but she doesn't know why. And Hannah just sees Jessa and Adam locking eyes and she suddenly realizes what's going on. And then Jessa and Adam are leaving the show and she's calling Jessa and Jessa is actually making me emotional thinking about it. <laughs> she's calling Jessa and Jessa just like looks at her and then just walks away. And it's like this, such a, there's so much unspoken and it's just so like devastatingly sad because she just, she basically had to pick between the love of her friend and the love of her life. And she picked Adam and, and yeah, and it kind of, it evolves more and she does bring up that she's never going to forgive Adam. She says to him, like, we could die together and I would never forgive you for what you did to my friendship. Mm, as it, okay. So Jessa says to Adam that she would never forgive him for like breaking the friendship with Hannah essentially. Yeah. And, and after that, Jess is kind of like a parasite of the show and they kind of, they kind of like undermine her at every corner. Like she stops being, she stops being taken as seriously. I personally felt because she starts to be this like hot mess. Who's always doing just lying around the character Ray says about her and her boyfriend, Adam, that their relationship was like, uh, boundaryless mess of like intimacy and something else I can't remember but she just becomes gross to the show and I feel like because Hannah and Lena Dunham and the real woman in real life had a kind of falling out I almost feel like it's a slight there's a lot going on under the surface did they fall out in real life I thought they were still um good friends mm. They are, but I think, so this is the goss that I've deduced from the different things I've listened to. I think that Lena Dunham basically cast the actress. Can you remember her name? Something Kirk. Gemma. Oh, yes. Jemima Kirk. Kirk, who's actually an artist. She basically cast her as herself. Mm. And it made, I think it made Jemima Kirk feel really... Um, like she was being used like a piece of art and it's kind of referenced quite a lot on the show where she's like, I'm not, even in the first episode, she's like, I'm not your, stop staring at me so hard. I'm not like an article for you to write about. Mm. But I think that actually echoed how Jemima Kirk was feeling in real life. Mm. And then when Jemima Kirk had a baby, she actually, she talks about this on her pod, but when she had a baby, she didn't tell um, Lena Dunham she was like the, the last one to know she was pregnant or something mm. so they had their affair because she was they were in such a bad place and Jemima Kirk just basically I think felt really resentful of this show and what it had done to her life and her privacy and I mean I don't know I'm talking about them like I know them I don't I do love the yeah you do really do <laughs> 
you really like, act like you've got the inside scoop and I believe that you do. Um, <laughs> so if, these are, if this is completely wrong and we get um, like a libel suit come through. <laughs> yeah, well, this is the thing. I feel like if I'm watching anything, I love to like read around it the whole time. It's just a, just a little kooky part of my personality. So this could definitely be from like... Um, really uncredited sources <laughs> okay as long as we say this is not credited sources that's fine and i i just um i think it's so beautifully done the fallout between jessa and lena oh god this is how annoying what's so annoying about the characters is that they are themselves so it's really hard not to call hannah lena dunham and not call yeah. lena dunham hannah um yeah. And so they are really beautifully done. And that's a really beautiful, um, like dark, beautiful friendship breakup. And I think, um, but obviously where the show falls down is that Lena Dunham made a lot of mistakes in the first series by making it really white and set in Brooklyn with absolutely no people of colour in any kind of speaking role. Yeah, definitely. Um, and she really fell down there. And it feels like ever since then, she has just repeatedly made mistakes in her like personal life and in her public life, which have just kind of set her up to be um, vilified, sometimes rightly, often rightly. And I think it's such a shame because I think Girls is actually a really beautiful piece of television. Yeah, it is a really beautiful piece of television. But no, I completely agree that she's problematic. And it's like the age old debate. Can you separate the art from the woman? I'm just like, I'm hesitant to comment on Lena Dunham as the person because I genuinely have just always been slightly disinterested in her as a person. <laughs> I think she does. She she I just love her. I love her work. I love her show. And then I know that she's done some she's said some not okay things and she's missed she's definitely underrepresented minorities or anyone that doesn't look or talk like her. But then it was kind of like what we were saying the other day. It's like she could have she really should have got a writer who is a person of color to help her portray the experience of people of color because when she does get someone on who is played by Donald Glover are you talking about Donald Glover the thing that she was criticized for is like yeah how underrepresented like people were who didn't just look like her and were wealthy white women but then when she tried to do that it also felt clumsy in my opinion when she brought Donald Glover on because like firstly he wasn't like a regular character secondly like he well so the the whole kind of fallout she has with him is that he's a Republican Mm. and then he criticizes her writing and says it's not very good and then she dumps him and tries to say it's because he's a Republican but it's actually because she can't be criticized because she has a fragile ego, but it does feel like he, yeah, he's kind of just there for a very short period of time. The character isn't very like likable or well-developed and like, he's got these conservative values. And like, obviously you should have every character have flaws and that's the show, but it just felt kind of odd that he was made out to be this it's quite an, he's quite a, like a, an unlikable character. I mean, maybe that's just me not liking Republican people. But. No, I think everyone said the similar thing is that actually he was kind of seen as very tokenistic as like a band-aid or plaster to put on the problem yeah. of the whiteness of the show. And he wasn't a very good character and he was there for like an episode or two episodes, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, why... It's a bit like she's projecting onto him. It's like you are being accused of being like unprogressive and then you make the the black character unprogressive. It's weird. It's really weird. It was a big mistake. What are you doing? Big mistake. Huge. Big mistake. Huge. Exactly. A lot of people, though, have been like prior to Lena Dunham doing lots of other stupid stuff. But right at the beginning when that was happening, a lot of people were like, but loads of shows are really white. Why are people picking on Lena Dunham? It's because she's a young woman. But actually, as a young woman who's trying to make what is arguably 
a feminist piece of work, I think you do need to be more sensitive to that stuff. Definitely. And also like, when did the defense, well, no one else is doing it, become like a good reason for uh, continuing on systemic racism? Like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's so but, true. I mean, it's like, but we've never think, been anti-racist before. So why would we bother doing that now? Yeah. We're always excluding whole groups of people. Like, why, why now are we being critical of someone? It's like, well, maybe we're holding her to a higher standard and maybe that's good. Like, maybe we're like, okay, well... It's like that expression that's like, never look down on someone unless it's to bring them up. Like if she is being like, trying to say something really big about women and she's trying to be like a voice, there's a line in girls. Oh God, I just constantly interrupt myself. There's a line in girls where she's like, I think I might be the voice of my generation or a voice of a generation. And the kind of joke about that is that it's like, is that what Lena Dunham's also thinking about herself but it's like if you are trying to say something about your generation like look around and try and say something about everyone like you're giving yourself quite a big job so like take it seriously exactly just have a care have some care and but she was very very like she was young when she wrote it she was like 24 um not that that defends any kind of racist behavior but it's it's maybe that's part of it it's an immaturity as well yeah and like i do think that lena dunham was writing characters about from the perspective of people of color would have also looked like it would, I don't know what a good job she'd done because she seems to only be able to write characters of specific people she already knows. <laughs> so she doesn't, she can only write characters. She needs, she need to first get some more like friends that were not white people and then she could write about it. I think that, and that might be I think you've so. ne- hit the nail on the head is that she has no friends that are not white people and that's the problem. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, Ethnicity is just as bad for that. Have you seen the woke Charlotte meme? No, I haven't actually. Oh, you got to get on that. What's the woke Charlotte meme? Um, it's it's like a it's actually someone when I was at Birkbeck, someone actually brought it in as like a piece of um, like did a whole presentation on how woke Charlotte is like a piece of social modern commentary, but it's basically um, like pictures of Charlotte from sex in the city making like squirmy faces. And then underneath it's like, um, I'll give you an example. So, you know, in the show when like Samantha would say really problematic things about like, Uh, transgender people or like they would be really racist sometimes Mm -hmm. and it would always be charlotte who was like excuse me they're real they're like transgender people and you need to be respectful and stop talking like this and they'd always be like charlotte you're so pc Mm. but now culturally we're like you don't call someone pc because they're not like disrespecting a whole group of people <laughs> and their rights but um the meme is basically like a backlash at, against the like racism in in sex in the city and the transphobia and the homophobia i recommend you look it up it's really good and i think like it's just so interesting like having people go back and look at shows with like the lens of what's more culturally acceptable now um yeah massively and like I what I think is really interesting about the woke Charlotte meme and Sex and the City is that like what we called in the nineties and the noughties like liberalism and freedom we now call like just offensive. Mm. <laughs> We've kind of gone full circle in like a really good way. It used to be that if you were like defending a minority group, you were seen as like overly politically correct, which is kind of and and Charlotte was holding the post of like a conservative person who was saying, oh, you can't say that. Mm. And they were being like, no, we're free. That's why we're saying really horrible things. And now we're like, no, being a free person is caring about everyone and not just thinking that you yourself can be free with your language and what you say. It's not about that. It's about like lifting people up and not diminishing 
whole groups of people. I think, no, I do think you're right. I want to know a bit about you and your relationship to girls and the sex in the city. Tell me when, what was going on with you when you first started watching girls? Okay. Well, we were talking about this the other day is that I, my memory is not great, but I was trying to think when I first started watching girls, I think it was when we were at uni together and, um, can you remember when we were first watching it? I think so. Basically, I think we were in the same halls, but in different buildings. That much I remember. Um, <laughs> it wasn't that, like, that much? That much is true. And you were, oh, and you were like, "Oh, I've got this amazing show called Girls," but we're, we have to watch it uh, using some interesting methodology um, because it was on HBO. And I was like, "Oh my god." what the fuck this girl who I want to be my friend wants to watch this show and then we watched it and I was like oh this is my life like even just being a fresher at uni like we weren't even graduates like trying to make our way in the world like Hannah it was more the friendship aspect of like I get in the bath with my friends I talk about gross stuff I also Elijah really reminded me of my ex-boyfriend who was quite camp and everyone said was gay um and exactly Elijah's character she's they go out as boyfriend and girlfriend and then um he turns out to be gay it just felt so realistic it just felt really realistic and it's that scene that we were talking about like in terms of like body image stuff what kind of shook me so much was um because I'd obviously grown up on sex in the city like that had been my understanding of like I mean I really grew up on Austin Powers but I think I grew up as a, an older person when I was a teenager sex in the city was always on in the background so I had this kind of like unconscious belief about like the types of bodies that were on screen the amounts of body parts that you would see and then in the first scene of girls but she's just got like a normal person body and she's just naked and it like actually did something to me where I was like my brain was like new information allow like the robot machine in my brain was like accepting something by seeing that on the screen I was accepting something probably within myself but also culturally that I never even questioned like I was just like what what because normally like even the whole of sex in the city as much as it's a great show I was like oh yes so when you're in your 30s you have like abs and you don't take your bra off during sex and like that's where this is going like that's what it like teenage sex is going to turn into that and then in girls I mean I guess she's only like 24 but to me that seemed like a grown-up because we were only 18 he um you're just seeing like a woman with a complete woman's body and it's like nothing like what you see in sex in the city She's just like a normal person. I mean, I'm in a really roundabout way saying she's not really thin and that's great. But like, it's just so wild to me because I'm like, I feel very much, whether this is true or not, I don't know. But I feel very much the same size and shape as Hannah in Girls. And I think that I'd never seen any woman with her top off looking like how I feel I look. And I was just taken back, taken aback as well. And it was just, it was actually really sad because it's like, oh, this is groundbreaking and people are upset about it. And why? How sad is that? So sad. As well. Like how sad is it? The amount of like fat men bodies I've seen and not even blinked an eye. (laughs) And then you see a woman who's not even, she's literally just got a normal human body. And it's like, I mean, I feel like this topic is just spoken to death, but it's like for a young girl, like an maybe an old girl, but a young woman. <laughs> not a girl, not yet a woman. <laughs> not girl, not yet woman person to have their first experience of seeing a normal body on the TV be that late in their childhood I mean, it it doesn't surprise you why everyone has such body image problems, like so many women do. So I'm really happy that I found girls for that reason. Because then it just opened me up to 
even the possibility that not just that, because I, I mean, I always had the split in my head, which is like, TV is not reality. Normal women's bodies look like this. TV bodies look like that. So it wasn't that I was like, oh, this is how my body should look. But it was more that it opened up the idea that you could be completely worthy of like celebration and like the amount of celebration that we give celebrities and not be like sick thin. So it's like, not that it's okay. Cause I knew it was okay, but I just didn't know that it was like on the celebrity glorify level that we hold. It could even, she could even be in that world. Mm. And it's like, yeah, that's fucked. It's really fucked. And especially going back now doing the podcast and rewatching some of the shows that people are talking about Gilmore Girls, Alexis Bledel and Lauren Graham who play Lorelai and Rory are so thin and they eat junk food mm-hmm. all day and don't ever gain weight and we're supposed to be like haha isn't that great such a great personality trait it's like oh no it's just full on fantasy fiction like that's <laughs> and, and yeah, it's, it's sci fi <laughs> like if, if, if like Lorelai I mean, to be fair, Lorelai does just talk about drinking coffee a lot and buzz around, but then they're like, movie night, grilled cheese. And it's like, Lorelai would be at the gym constantly and she'd be having quinoa and like Instagramming it now. Yeah, exactly. Like, to have that, to have the body that she has. And it's... Yeah, it ain't real. Like, and that is confusing. Because really, if you eat in a normal amount, some body fat emerges yeah I mean, that's yeah. science and I <laughs> and I, it's just and also a lot of the people who are on tv are also models like Alexis Bledel playing uh Rory is a model Misha Barton who plays Marissa Cooper is a, was also a model um I'm sure that some other people are models who are famously actors but I do think it's you know they're not real people. <laughs> Models are real people, but in, in like girls, um, that's what's kind of interesting because Jessa and Marnie are very much like model beautiful, um, and it is still like I still think even though we see her naked body, um, Lena Dunham's naked body all the time, and it's in that way it's progressive. There's still a lot of like that. I think there's still some low key like fat phobia in there as well. Like the episode where she sleeps with that guy who's like a really hot um he's he's like a like a really hot dilf and she's like kind of so it the joke is almost that he's so unbelievably hot and she doesn't understand why he's like entertaining mm. her kind of thing. And uh, so I think sometimes I always find this just sad, but also like you got to start somewhere. But so many like just let's just say normal sized fucking people who are like famous when their bodies are shown. It's always like a joke. Mm-hmm. It's always like, um, like, have you seen I Feel Pretty? No, I haven't actually. So I Feel Pretty is like got Amy Schumer and she basically hit has an accident where she starts to think that she's really hot so she starts to act differently and then the moral of the show which really doesn't land or the movie is that the thing that made her beautiful was her confidence all along and everybody has insecurities but like it's just really fucked basically because it it's like the implication is like she would only have self-esteem if she'd been hit over her head with a rock to believe that she was attractive Mm. and it's like it's just really fucked up but I think sometimes Lena Dunham borderlines on in the show the joke being her body occasionally not all the time but I would quite like maybe the third edition of this Sex and the City and Girls and then exactly that's a question I was going to ask actually do you think there are any more recent shows that show kind of women in their 20s and 30s in an even better, more realistic, more kind of inclusive way? Is, has there been a third evolution? Yeah. Yes. Broad City, Broad City, Broad City. Although Broad City is the best and I recommend everyone watches it. It's the best show ever. But Broad City is very like cartoonish in the sense that 
um, like we were saying with Sex and the City, the, no matter what happens to the characters, they always end where they started. Yeah. Like they don't really evolve, but there's definitely more representation in Board City. There's definitely like what we were talking about, about the grossness is there, the sexuality of the characters, like they're all just like really owning their own sexuality and their own bodies. And it's about female friendship and like crazy great bond between these two gals, but, and amazing with mental health. We were talking about that aspect, but I'd say there's like room for another one. Room. Yeah, I do as well. I think I'm trying to think of stuff that's come out more recently. Like more of a drama because Broad City, Broad City is like a really good comedy. Yeah. Um, but it, it, I think something that's like played out as real as Sex and the City and Girls, I'd watch. Yeah, same. I think there's always room for more TV because I will just consume. <laughs> <laughs> there's no end to my TV consumption. <laughs> so, especially in lockdown. Especially like, in lockdown. Give me another. Give me another like box set and I will eat it right up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Was there anything else you wanted to add? Any other thoughts or feelings? Thoughts or feelings? Um, well, I wanted to, I, we had talked about talking about like the mental health part side of stuff and the daddy issues, but I think we had a much more interesting conversation in the end. I think we did I wanted- too. I mean, did we talk? I mean, there is with... Uh, Lena Dunham, Hannah, I always, this is something I need to really get good at is not calling people, <laughs> not interchanging actor and person and character. Cause to me, they're the same thing. Um, it's basically a documentary girls, <laughs> just about Lena Dunham and that's, you know, that's fine. That's what you're commenting on when you call it her by the wrong name. Yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, she did a really good job of showing OCD and, um, anxiety in the show. Yeah. Yeah, she did. She did. And like when we were talking about the evolution, I'd say Broad City, like one of the best episodes of TV that I've seen because it's so funny, but it's also completely addressing um, mental health stuff is when um, the main character, Lana. So Lana basically takes medication for her anxiety and depression, but then she just decides she wants to come off it. So she's like becomes obsessed with those like, melatonin lamps and she's like trying to literally come off her antidepressants and her friend is like honey like you need to start taking your pills and she's like no and she's got all these like foils to try and get the hot light onto her face and then it's like really played quite slapstick but then at the end she does this speech where she basically says you know what fuck the stigma I need this medication to make me feel okay and that's fine and that really helped me personally with like not stigmatizing yourself for having anxiety and you can be like everything you want to be but also it doesn't have to contradict it if you have anxiety or depression like it you're still that person you just sometimes take a pill in the morning or you sometimes start spiraling into anxiety it doesn't stop you from being fabulous exactly yeah that's a really good and that's a really good message and i think but does girls do that with hannah and anxiety not really it's more just shows you how upsetting it is i don't know maybe i'm misremembering yeah i yeah i don't feel like girls does the same i mean it's got such a different tone Mm. so it's so hard to compare those two but girls definitely Hannah is like, um, is kind of an ill person in those scenes. Whereas in um, Broad City, she's, the whole point is like, you are not defined by your mental illness. Whereas Hannah kind of spirals into like, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if I completely agree that it's a good depiction of mental illness necessarily, because I mean, maybe that's, some people's experience but I found parts of it felt really good and other parts felt really like a little bit like one flew over the cuckoo's nest like slightly this is what it looks like when you're really ill and like there was a bit where she opens her mouth for her boyfriend to put the pill in her mouth every day Mm. and I just found it a little bit disempowering it's like 
you're a fully functioning human being adult and you have mental health issues and you take a pill. So you take your pill with your OJ and you got the house. Mm. I didn't like that. I think the fact that Adam's character is a bit um, creepy also probably didn't help that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the creep factor was definitely... But like, yeah, she has OCD, but that doesn't mean... Because also in those episodes, it's like she's become a little house pet mm. who's wearing like soft clothes and she gets carried around. And it's like, I thought I, Broad City did a much better job of being like, yeah, you can be really tough and independent with these things. Yeah, that's really true. Good. Thank you. I think I think we've talked <laughs> a good talk. We've talked so much. We've talked a good talk. <laughs>